Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Hope you had a great weekend. Your stool is waiting for you. We have a crazy martini to start off today, and then a good martini, and then another crazy martini that is also quite bad. Uh, The reason we're putting the crazy martini first is because the Cuomo story is uh, changing all the time and getting crazier by the moment. It certainly was over the past two days with Cuomo putting out so many statements, Jim, it was hard to keep track of what his narrative was. Uh, The big story is there's a second accuser when it comes to sexual harassment. We had just talked about Lindsey Boylan, a former assistant uh, who had been critical of Cuomo in a number of ways about how he just treated her as a colleague in a demeaning way before, but then she accused him of uh, an un- or a forced kiss that was non-consensual, uh, suggesting they play strip poker, and on and on and on. Now we've got a new accuser. This one's named Charlotte Bennett, a 25-year-old former aide to Cuomo, who told the New York Times that the governor asked her inappropriate personal questions, told her he was open to relationships with women in their 20s, and left her feeling that he wanted to sleep with me, quote-unquote. Bennett, who worked as an executive assistant, this is the New York Post version, uh, and health policy advisor, told the Times the interactions took place in the spring as the coronavirus pandemic flared. Uh, She described a June meeting in Cuomo's office during which he griped about being lonely during the pandemic and whined that he can't even hug anyone. He then asked her about hugs, and she tried to dodge the question by saying she missed hugging her parents. And, quote, he was like, no, I mean, like, really hug somebody, he said. She says, quote, I understood that the governor wanted to sleep with me and felt horribly uncomfortable and scared. And I was wondering how I was going to get out of it and assumed it was the end of my job. Uh, There was also, she says, one of the creepiest parts is that she confided in him that she had been a sexual assault survivor. And then she told a friend via text message, quote, the way he was repeating You were raped and abused and attacked and assaulted and betrayed over and over again while looking me directly in the eyes was something out of a horror movie, according to the Times. It was like he was testing me, told her about how he was lonely uh, since he broke up with his celebrity chef girlfriend. He's fine with anyone over the age of 22. She was talking about getting a tattoo, suggested she should get it on her rear end so it wouldn't show when she wore a dress. And so the other crazy part about this, Jim, is the sequence of reactions from Cuomo. First, he said uh, it was just a mentoring relationship. He did nothing improper. Then he suggested an independent review by a lawyer that he personally suggested and works for a good friend of his. Then that shifted to an independent review. And then he uh, admitted, oh, yeah, I guess I I did actually uh, say some crazy things here. He didn't say anything specific about what he said, but he says that he joked a lot in the office. Uh, Sometimes I think I'm being playful and make jokes. I now understand that my interactions may have been insensitive or too personal and that some of my comments, given my position, made others feel in ways I never intended. I acknowledge some of the things I have said have been misinterpreted as an unwanted flirtation to the extent anyone felt that way. I am truly sorry about that. So looks like uh, he's taking on more water. I mean, you've got Karen Tumulty at the Washington Post today, Jim, saying that she's not sure how he survives this. Nancy Pelosi calls the allegations credible, which I guess that you'd have to now since he admit, basically admits that uh, he, he made comments that others found uncomfortable. But uh, what do you make of the media actually getting on this now with the New York Times being the one behind this particular uh, accusation, bringing it forward? And Cuomo's responses here. 
Oh, there's a lot to unpack here, Greg. Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting when you say, oh, I was joking around and it just just must have been misinterpreted or taken the wrong way. Like, notice how it's kind of subtly blaming the victim. It's like, oh, I didn't do anything really all that wrong. You're just too sensitive a person. And therefore, I'm sorry that you're such, you're such a sensitive person. But um, reading all that, Greg, it reminded me of the first statement from Harvey Weinstein, who was this notorious... Uh, uh, you know, not, not merely harassment, but, you know, straight up assault in some cases. Um, and he's, you know, he's, remember what his statement was, is I come of, came of age in the 60s and 70s when the rules about behavior in workplaces were different. That was the culture then. Now, I've since learned it's not an excuse in the office or out of it to anyone. You know, BS, right? BS, but, you know. Um, and then he kind of has this, like, you know, this, look, I'm an old-fashioned guy. I didn't know that this stuff, like, look, if you haven't picked up by now that if you are an older male in a position of authority and you have female subordinates and you joke about sexual matters with them, you're basically asking for trouble. You're basically asking for a complaint. It's, you know, it's not just that the culture of the workplaces has changed. It's that... Uh, it's the reason a whole bunch of workplaces aren't comfortable with, you know, bosses dating their subordinates, even if the relationship is completely consensual and everybody's happy, at least for now. You know, like bosses dating their inferiors, like there's it's an inherently unequal circumstance. The person who is the subordinate is now you're always wondering, am I going to get fired over this? Am I am, am I going to be am I not going to get that promotion because I have disagreed with this person I'm in a relationship with? Um, if Cuomo's admitting to this, a lot of people are going to come to the conclusion, if there's smoke, there's fire. <clears throat> and, you know, I, I, we had discussed last week the, the scoffing about how is this, an, a, a, is this a day where we believe all women or is this a day where we don't? The contrast with uh, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh jumps out at me in which, look, both of these women worked for Cuomo. So there's really no doubt that he's been in contact with them, that he would be in a situation where he'd be alone with them. Uh, or that he'd be in a circumstance and they're describing things that happened in the workplace, right? So we can we can put both of those people in the same place. Swetnick and the Georgetown story, jo Georgetown party stories. There's no evidence any of those things ever happened. Um, Christine Blasey Ford, she couldn't verify any of her claims. There were no supporting uh, according evidence. The witnesses she claims said they didn't remember it happening. She couldn't remember when it happened. She couldn't remember where it happened. Like these are all kind of important details here. All of these allegations against Cuomo are all very specific. And if you believe that uh, very often when somebody who, who you know, people uh, politically support get accused of something, they turn on the accusers and their first thought is always a, ah, you know, they're just doing this for attention. Now, look, I'm not saying that women never do this. I'm sure there are certain cases where it has happened. I think uh, in the case of Swetnick, I think we're, you know, there's somebody who's deeply troubled, who has real problems in their life. And this is how they're dealing with it. And it probably involves making allegations that are not true against other people. Um, but in this case, like, do you think that, like, why do these powerful narcissistic men keep hiring people who turn against them with false allegations so regularly, Greg? It's an amazing coincidence how often that happens. No, it certainly is. And uh, you mentioned uh, the contemporaneous texts as well. I mean, this is not something that they remembered but had no evidence of from a number of years ago, or in this case, uh, about a year ago. Uh, they were texting their friends and family at the time, at least this particular accuser was. And so there's evidence at that time. Also, and unfortunately, I think this becomes a bigger issue in our polarized atmosphere than it used to be, 
these women are diehard lefties. I mean, they're not out there to try and score points for the GOP. Uh, Boylan, for example, is running for Manhattan Borough President right now. Uh, I think she's uh, definitely someone who doesn't like Andrew Cuomo, and we're finding out why in all these different revelations that she's bringing forward. Uh, so the fact that they're of the same party and there is contemporaneous evidence obviously lends more credibility to this. But you mentioned the Kavanaugh parallel, which, of course, is going to happen on so many different levels now. Remember when the Swetnick uh, allegations came out through Michael Avenatti, uh, there was a one-on-one interview with NBC News almost immediately that... Uh, Got challenged a little bit during the interview, but not much. And now, with the Boylan accusation, none of the network news, uh, evening newscast touched it. It was only CBS the following morning that did it. And so now, with the second accusation, the media is finally being like, all right, I guess we got to cover this. Very different approach. Yeah, I have to make a um, weird, uh, something I don't usually do, which is crit- uh, praise somebody over at the uh, New Republic, Alex Perrine who has always been kind of pretty darn left of center, but he has a really good piece, I think it came out just a couple of days ago, called The Andrew Cuomo Show Has Lost the Plot. But he makes an interesting distinction between print coverage of Andrew Cuomo, which has actually been fairly tough through much of his governorship, and television coverage of Andrew Cuomo. And obviously he focuses a great deal on Chris Cuomo at CNN, but he's not the only example. And he makes an interesting point about like Andrew Cuomo's governorship has always been tied up in all kinds of ethics problems and conflicts of interest and refusal to disclose uh, information that they're required to do so by law, uh, violations of, of internal regulations, all kinds of stuff like that. But it's generally pretty complicated. It's the sort of thing you need a minimum 1,500 word, probably closer to 2,000 or 3,000 word article in the New York Times or one of the other Albany Times Union, New York Daily News, and even the Post. And New York Post actually has been covering Cuomo, you know, um, deeply and thoroughly. It's not the sort of thing that necessarily makes for great television. And why did Andrew Cuomo become a superstar and get an Emmy and all that stuff? Because he was good on television during all of his briefings and stuff. He emoted well. He literally gave, like he, in the way he deserves the Emmy because he gave a good performance, like an actor reading from a script, not from actually being a good governor. Um, so I think that's a useful thing to keep in mind that when we complained about how the media has covered Cuomo, our main complaint is with television media, that there's been a better coverage of him from the print media up in the New York area. But it also is worth noting that like that hasn't had an impact on his approval rating and his public reputation. And it certainly doesn't change the way the you know television covers him. He still gets the warm bath from his brother every time he appears on CNN primetime. Exactly. And let's not forget the nursing home scandal. We got uh, mm. thousands <laughs> of deaths. Oh, yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that the media is uh, more interested uh, in covering these allegations, which do seem to be uh, carrying some credibility. Uh, but for nearly a year, uh, all they did was cover up for Andrew Cuomo on that until the foil was out of office in Washington. And now mm. Andrew Cuomo uh, is facing the music 12 months later to some extent, but uh, we'll see if they even follow up on the nursing home stuff. All right. Well, if that left a terrible taste in your mouth, um, we got some good news. We got some uh, quip gum for you. Look, uh, we brush, we floss, but should we chew gum to improve our dental health? Actually, yes. Gum is the unsung hero when it comes to better oral health. The American Dental Association recommends chewing sugar-free gum for 20 minutes after your meals. Quip gum can help prevent cavities and freshen breath when chewed for 20 minutes after eating. It is sugar-free and has tooth-friendly xylitol with zero calories, 
and to satisfy your taste buds, Quip added a long-lasting mint flavor, crunchy tri-layered design, and stamped it all with the classic Quip tongue. Add a gum refill plan for a gift that keeps on giving all year round. Quip's customizable subscription allows you to chew and share at your own pace and not ever worry about running out. Plus, the more you buy, the more you save with bulk discounts on extra gum packs. Of course, this is not a substitute for brushing and flossing, but it is a great supplement to your oral health. So pair it with a Quip electric toothbrush, refillable floss, and other great products. Uh, I've had a chance to try the gum. I love the dispenser. It's very cool. Uh, you just pack in, I think it's nine or ten pieces of gum. Click the button, out it comes. And uh, it's got a great minty flavor. Lasts for at least the 20 minutes that they suggest that you chew it. And uh, on you go. A healthier, healthier gums and teeth. And if you go to getquip.com slash martini right now, you can get a free plastic dispenser with any refill plan. That's a free dispenser at getquip.com slash martini. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash martini. Quip is the good habits company. All right, Jim, let's talk about 2022 a little bit. Uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is still, I think, pretty popular. He's not at the stratospheric numbers he was in his first year. All the attacks about his COVID handling, which has been far superior to Andrew Cuomo's, despite what the media will tell you, uh, he's still in pretty good shape. In fact, quite good shape for re-election next year. And this latest bit of news suggests he might uh, be even in stronger position than I thought. Uh, it looks like one of the leading Democrats interested in getting into this race, and I use leading in quotation marks, Charlie Crist. Yes, Charlie Crist coming back for a third crack at the governorship. He, of course, won it as a Republican in 2006 following Jeb Bush. Then he left the governorship to try to run for Senate, uh, was going to lose the primary to Marco Rubio, so he became an independent, then lost the general election to Marco Rubio, then decided to run for governor again against Rick Scott, who had won that year in 2010. So in 2014, it was Scott against uh, Christ. Christ lost narrowly. Uh, then he won a seat in Congress, and now he's back thinking about running very seriously for governor. And the other thing I find very interesting in here, which is good news, Jim, is that there's not many other names Politico puts in this story. The only one they threw out there is Agricultural Commissioner Nikki Fried, or Fried, however you say that, who made news in the past few days because she told her staff not to lower the flags in Florida to half staff in honor of Rush Limbaugh. So I don't know if that's her move towards a more prominent political stature. But if uh, Charlie Crist is the best the Democrats can roll out right now, uh, Ron DeSantis is looking pretty good next year, I would think. Charlie Crist? <laughs> Greg, I, I, look, if there's anything I've learned over the past four years is that Democrats do not like people who are orange and who switch around their parties a whole bunch and who aren't reliable on issues and who live in Florida, right? I thought that was the worst combination you could have. <laughs> I guess it's a different shade of orange. Um, or maybe it's, maybe it's because you're in the land of orange groves. They're a little more tolerant of that. So, God, if you're a if you're a Florida Democrat, you must be pretty pretty bummed right now, because in a year where Democrats figured out how to win Georgia by the skin of their teeth, they figured out how to win Arizona. They won back Wisconsin. They won back Michigan. You know, they they had some real good. Uh, they own 2020 Biden versus Trump. They had some good some good uh, races there. They have, you know, managed to win two runoff races in Georgia in some pretty unusual circumstances, admittedly. And then, you know, but then Florida was the one where they really kind of it wasn't wasn't nearly as close as it was. And they, they lost a bunch in the Cuban-American community. And in fact, they also lost amongst the Venezuelan-Americans, Nicaraguan-Americans. The Latino vote shifted significantly in the direction of Trump. 
Um, and DeSantis was actually a guy who they thought was toast heading into the last gubernatorial cycle. His approval rating is still looking pretty good. I mean, not just looking good. I think he was, was he second in the CPAC poll this weekend without Trump? He was to Trump and he was uh, substantially ahead in the poll without Trump listed. I mean, right now, DeSantis really is in that sweet spot of being Trumpy enough in his style. Like he'll, he'll fight with a, with a member of the press. He can be very combative. He can be very kind of snarky. But I think he chooses, he picks his battles pretty well. Like the exchange he had with that reporter who um, contended he had that he had interrupted her. But she hadn't finished answering her question, but her question had gone on for like, you know, well beyond 30, 30 seconds, 45 seconds. It was one of those things we've all seen. A correspondent wants to give, you know, you know Governor, I'm going to give a speech denouncing you. And then I'd like you to respond to that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, DeSantis just wasn't having any of it. Um, he's done a much better job on COVID and the pandemic than people are giving him credit for, particularly considering how many senior citizens live in Florida. Um, much of the coverage of him being this reckless maniac who was opening up the state too close, uh, too soon was, is not, uh, all that accurate. doesn't line up with the facts. And oh, by the way, that, you know, like a lot of the coverage was generated by the, the, um, uh, the data engineer who got fired from the last three jobs she's had and has charges filed against her for the last three jobs she's had, or the lawyer who dressed up like the uh, Grim Reaper and went around to, to beaches <laughs> saying, you're endangering your lives by being outside in sunlight with lots of fresh air and wind, you know, um, a lot of the coverage of DeSantis has been over the top. And I think that's just naturally making Republicans gravitate to this guy. And if it's having this effect nationally, I think it's probably having the same effect uh, down there in the Sunshine State. Does this mean he's a guarantee for reelection? No, there's still a lot of road ahead. But um, if you're the Democrats, though, I, I can't see how you're like, you know, unless the, the national political environment in 2022 is just so sweepingly against Republicans. I don't see Charlie Crist being the guy who knocks off Ron DeSantis. Um, Crist, you know, like why did Crist not succeed in his past statewide bids and all the other times he ran as an independent and then all these, like why did he have to settle for end up being a, a congressman from a fairly democratic district? Because everybody kind of sees him as this slippery, uh, evasive, uh, uh, you know, shifting positions guy. I had this, uh, one of the stories I'm most proud of, the Freedom of National Review. I wrote a tongue-in-cheek article about the uh, Charlie Crist from like 2008 or 2009, traveling forward in time to denounce the Charlie Crist back when, when he became a, a Democrat. <laughs> uh, and then the idea of them both arguing. And my future, Sierra, was that the, the Charlie Crist of the far future who had run as the candidate of the Green Party had come backwards in time to denounce both of them. Um, I don't know what the, the po continuing political evolution of Charlie Crist is going to be, but I just think of him as just the, the embodiment of the slippery, slick, Florida politician who's already alienated all kinds of people all across the spectrum. So uh, uh, a, a rehashed, re you know, another reheated serving of Charlie Crist does not seem like the, you know, guaranteed home run for Florida Democrats in 2022. No, not at all. And you have to wonder, uh, after you've been an executive uh, for a state, being one of 435 in the House might not seem that exciting because he's been in the majority now for well, a little over two years, and he doesn't seem too excited about staying there necessarily, perhaps because, you know, there's not a lot of regular order and the leadership just kind of decides what's in the big bills. Uh, this one little nugget, though, in the Politico story, Jim, when asked whether he's the right candidate for now, Chris retorts, quote, I got two words, 
Joe Biden. Look what happened in our last election. So he sees that the fact that the third time was the charm for Joe Biden means that the third time might be the charm for Charlie Crist, too. You know, the downside of Donald Trump being elected president was that every uh, politically active celebrity and, and, you know, third rate, you know, Fox News green room hanger on looked at it and said, I could I could be president, too. You know, the success of Joe Biden is going to tell every single washed up politician, hey, it's time for me to make a comeback. We will see. We will see. But we like that matchup, at least right now. Uh, anyway, the Democrats, if that's the best they can do, they might just want to keep their powder dry for uh, another cycle. Uh, they can just relax, maybe with a pillow. although the Democrats probably won't. Uh, but did you know that MyPillow is, is about more than just a fantastic pillow? Now MyPillow has given the same attention that they've given their pillows to their towels and sheets. And right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can buy one, get one free on all six-piece towel sets and Giza Dream Sheet sets. My pillow towels have proprietary technology that makes these towels highly absorbent. They are soft to the touch without that lotion-y feel. They come with a 10-year warranty and 60-day money-back guarantee. They are washable and dryable, and there are seven colors to choose from. The MyPillow Giza Dreams bedsheets are made with the world's best cotton, making them ultra soft and breathable. The sateen weave gives them a luxurious finish that will have you sleeping like a dream. The sheets also come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. They're washable and dryable and come in a wide variety of colors. Visit MyPillow.com to learn more. And right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can get all six-piece towel sets and Giza sheets. Buy one, get one free. Just use the promo code MARTINI at checkout or call 800-874-0104. That's MyPillow.com, code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104 for buy one, get one free on all six-piece towel sets and Giza Dream Sheets. All right, Jim, let's get to our last crazy or bad slash crazy. The idea of hate crimes has been a liberal concoction for a long time. And now we're seeing once again that uh, they've always meant it to be a liberal concoction, not an equally applied part of our criminal justice system. There's been a spate of crimes in various Chinatowns and cities around America. And so NBC News decided they needed to put out what they call an explainer to let everyone know that not all hate crimes are created equal. Here's part of what they say. As the recent wave of attacks on older Asian Americans prompts calls for action and activism, Experts urge the use of precise, accurate language in discussing the violence. The robberies and assaults in several big city Chinatowns have led to significant media coverage and outcry from activists, many of whom have labeled the incidents hate crimes. But recent higher profile cases that have gone viral on social media aren't being investigated as such, law enforcement officials say. They say the occurrences don't show signs of being racially motivated. Social media posts have conflated violence against people who are Asian American with hate crimes against the community at large, tying the crimes to pandemic-related racism. Some sources have declared a spike in hate crimes, citing an astronomical increase. But the figure they refer to specifically reflects New York City and New York police data obtained by NBC Asian America, which shows three anti-Asian hate crimes in 2019 and 28 last year. But here's the craziest part, Jim. Uh, hat tip to Jazz Shaw at uh, Hot Air for, for flagging this. The report does become quite specific in one regard, however. The one time you need to be very careful to ensure that both victims and offenders receive a, quote, fair rather than public trial is when the offender is not white. Quote, 
Experts emphasize that's particularly important if suspects are of color in the context of a justice system that hasn't been proven to be colorblind. So, Jim, it's not about equal justice under the law. It's about making up for past grievances in some cases or just about uh, leveling the playing field by making it unlevel for a while, I guess. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, so this is a mess. Uh, and let's begin with a very simple, basic statement. If you violently assault someone, crime should be investigated. Somebody should be arrested. Somebody should, the perpetrator should be arrested. The perpetrator should be prosecuted and put in jail. That's a violent crime. Doesn't matter whether it was a hate crime or they were just looking for fun or they were just trying to rob a guy. The motivate, like I know that the justice system allows stiffer penalties for certain motivations. But if you get a hit with a brick in the head, do you really care that much about why the guy threw it? <laughs> the damage is going to be the same. It's still a violent crime. Now, the I, I think one of the things that, that spurred this was seeing this... Um, I saw it on social media a couple of days ago. And it basically was like, you know, increase in, in hate crimes against Asians shows the pervasive power of white nationalism. And then if you looked at the arrested perpetrators for three of these attacks, they were all African-American. I don't think white nationalism was the motivation behind these particular perpetrators. It could be hatred. It, you, you can be of any race or hue and hate Asian-Americans. You could be of any race or hue and hate any other group of, of Americans, right? So you hate, you know, uh, the great irony is hate sees, knows no color. There's no group on earth who is immune to prejudice and discrimination and hatred and a desire to lash out at others. The next thing, I, it, discussion of hate crimes gets really, really frustrating because we don't have nearly enough good data to analyze this. I, I certainly find it plausible that the rate of violence against Asian Americans, specifically targeting Asian Americans um, since the pandemic has increased and that people would be, I'm really angry about this. Uh, it originated in Wuhan. It's here because of those Chinese people. It's not necessarily here because of these Chinese people and that nice family down the street didn't do anything to you. And they go around looking for someone who's Asian and they start, you know, violently assaulting them. I, I, I find that a plausible scenario. So far, we're not seeing it in the de in the data. And I think it was like the, the FBI report, it went from like six to nine total nationwide. And then the people who are making these arguments will say, well, look, not all hate crimes get reported. I also find that to be plausible. The problem is now you're trying asking me to accept that there's been a major jump in these things and you can't prove it. We just have to accept it on faith that it's happening. We end up with an anecdote. And I've read a bunch of these articles that talk about this you know, dangerous trend and concerning you know, developments and all that stuff. And there's rarely any numbers there. They can't quantify it. Now, again, I'm not saying it didn't happen. I find it very plausible that it's happening. But I would like to get a sense of the scale of the problem. I remember a couple um, more than a year ago, it was after one of the shootings where people are very worried about white nationalism. And there was an, oh, they had arrested a, uh, somebody who had been in the military who was plotting a terror attack. And there was a question of, does the military, you had a million and one headlines that basically were asked, the headline was a form of a question. Does the U.S. military have a white nationalism problem in the ranks? And they talked to experts and all that, but the things, the reports never actually had numbers. And so I went through as best as I could all the news coverage that I could find of this because the Pentagon did not really have any ready, at the, you know, ready made numbers on this. How many people have been arrested or faced disciplinary issues uh, for engaging in white nationalism or plotting white nationalist terror attacks or something like that? And I believe the total in an 18 month span was six, six people. That's bad. I mean, any one of these guys, if they got their hands on 
uh, weapons or bombs or, or something. They could do a lot of damage. I'm not saying, you know, any one of these guys, if they're, they're committing crimes, if they're planning something terrible, throw the book at them, incarcerate them, you know. But there are like, what, 1 million, 1.5 million people in the U.S. military, depending on whether or not you count the National Guard and Reserves. Six people in a year and a half? Like, that's not a explode. Like, you know, I don't know if there's a, a lot of this that's secretly in the ranks and hasn't been discovered yet. But so far, the numbers aren't there. And I think if you're going to have a good discussion about this and try to formulate some good policy response to this, we need good, accurate data. And right now, that just isn't there. And I'm very, very wary about a media world that runs on fear. Your home appliance might be trying to kill you. We'll tell you which one at 11. You know, that kind of tone of constantly telling people, keeping people on edge, that sense of you have to stay tuned. You have to click on this because otherwise you won't know what's out to get you. I don't trust the media to cover this fairly and accurately because the urge to hype things, the urge to turn things into this, you know, the, the, the scariest thing possible is such a driving force of so much of the coverage of this. And nobody would ever want to say, hmm, you know, the, the numbers on this hate crime thing don't really look that bad because then you look like you don't care about it. Of course, everyone should care about this. If one, if one Asian American in America is getting assaulted because of some Yahoo out there who thinks they're responsible for the, the, the coronavirus, or then that's terrible. And that person should go to jail. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we are in the middle of this wave or something and trying to apply this. Well, it's a hate crime when it, when the perpetrator has this color skin and it's not a hate crime if that the perpetrator is that. No, that's not how it works at all. Right. If you're you know, if you're if you're deliberately targeting that person because of their ethnicity, then it's a hate crime, no matter who or what you are. We shouldn't have ended on this one, Greg. It just gets me too fired up. <laughs> I should have ended on something lighter. But you said it exactly right. Uh, it's uh, a multiple-tiered justice system when this gets in. Uh, this is exactly what conservatives said when the liberals were pushing this. And I believe uh, hate crime laws got in because they got attached to a defense authorization bill back during the 2000s somewhere that, of course, was must-pass, had to be signed, and voila, here we go. Jim, uh, let's rest up, and I'll see you tomorrow. So really only Monday, Greg? Sadly, yes. But uh, it's 2021, so we'll get something crazy before the end of the week. Trust me. Oh, by the way, this is actually the 367th day of March, as I understand it. So <laughs> yes, Happy exactly. March, everybody. March number two of this pandemic. Let's hope it's the last. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Always very grateful for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Uh, follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Have a great Monday, and we'll see you Tuesday on the Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.